0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're in a series, actually finishing a series today called Toxic, and this series has been all about um, identifying toxins in the world that if we're not careful, they get in us, and they slowly poison our souls. Um, We've talked about toxic thoughts. We've talked about toxic words. We've talked about toxic relationships up to this point. And so we're going to continue that today. And I want to encourage you, if you've missed any part of this, go back and listen. You can listen uh, to the podcast. You can uh, download the podcast on iTunes, or if you'd rather, you can watch this video from our archive on our website. Uh, but get caught up on where we're at, because I really do feel like this series can impact you. What God is doing through this has been really remarkable. And so I just want to encourage you, make sure to get connected with it. Um, I read a story this last week about a woman named um, Marie Curie, and you might recognize her name. She was notable in the field of radioactivity. She actually coined the, the word radioactivity uh, early in the 1900s. And she and her husband, Pierre, they were pioneers in this field, and they studied, and they did research, and they were some of the first people to really do research in the, in the field of um, just discovering radioactive elements and what that means and what that looks like. And one of the things in particular that they spent a lot of time in, in was, is with uh, pitch blend ore. And she and her husband devoted a lot of time there, and a lot of their research revolved around it. And it's, it, what we discovered is from a ton of pitch blend ore, so 2,000 pounds of pitch blend ore, you could derive one-tenth of a gram of radium chloride. So they would have to, they would have to take literally 2,000 pounds— of pitch blend, in order to get one-tenth of a gram of radium. Now, what they didn't realize, though, was how toxic that this uh, radioactive material was. And in fact, it was so toxic that uh, it would impact their lives and impact people even after their death. But she would actually carry isotopes around with her in little vials in her pocket or in her desk because she She loved how it would shine in the dark and how the colors would sparkle. Um, She had no clue what she was carrying in her pockets and keeping in her desk was slowly killing her. Uh, Her husband died in an accident and she ended up living until 1934 when she finally passed away having this notable career. She won two Nobel Prizes, did all kinds of things in the field of research uh, in, in regards to radioactivity. She finally passed away and they discovered how deadly this radiation was. Uh, she actually died of cancer, um, and she, she was eaten up with it, basically, because of the radiation that had infested her body. Uh, when she passed away, she was actually buried in a lead-lined box in the cemetery, because in so France, because she uh, was so poisonous even after death. Uh, beyond that, her her good her, the, her items that she owned, uh, some of which were kept for posterity's sake, some of her research papers and things like that, and personal items, but many of them were disposed of because they were so toxic. Even after death, uh, those items couldn't be handled. Now, her research papers and the things she had done, they're still available for people to look at today, but they're also kept in lead line boxes because even um, a, almost 100 years after her death, they are still poisonous if you handle them. So people can check out the paperwork, but they have to wear a hazmat suit, a radioactive suit, literally, in order to handle the, the paperwork that she dealt with and that she took notes on. Um, so what she didn't understand is these little things that seem harmless, these little things that seem like they, they don't have any potential for injury, they're just, they're just innocent. It's pretty and I like having it around, and what's the harm? At the end of the day, this is what ultimately killed her. And it not only killed her, but it poisoned some of the things she loved and cared about most in this world. And for many of us, we live a life that's the same way. We invite things into our life that we think are harmless. We feel like it's not going to cause any problems, or, you know, it's just me. It's not infect- or impacting anyone else. But we don't realize that some of the toxic influences we invite into our life are slowly poisoning our soul and slowly killing the things we love around us as well, and the people we love around us. So today we're gonna talk about toxic influences. I grew up in a church that was um, of the holiness tradition, and so it wasn't way off the deep end, but um, I remember having conversations with some older people in our church, and they would say things like, oh, you're going to see a movie. Well, what happens if Jesus comes back while you're in the movie? And the implication was, you're not going to heaven because you're sitting in a movie theater. You know, we had, uh, I heard people say when I was a kid, hey, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't run with girls that do, Uh, which was hard in Oklahoma because a lot of them would chew, so (laughs) it was difficult. But but we had this idea that we never said it like this, but the truth was we had this idea that if, if we will just work hard enough, then God will love us. If we just get our junk together and act right and behave, then we'll be acceptable to God. And that theology is all wrong. Uh, the truth is, we don't make ourselves right before God. God makes us right, and he loves us in spite of us and invites us into relationship uh, through his son, Jesus. And so my theology was off. I used to think, um, man, I probably got saved, saved as a teenager 50,000 times. Every time I made a mistake, I'd have to pray, because I imagined God as this, Uh, loving God, but he was also kind of mean because every time I messed up, he wanted to erase my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life, you know? Like, he was just ready with a big eraser to take me out any moment. Uh, But what I realized is God is much bigger than that, and and God is a loving, benevolent God. But um, when I was in school or in high school, um, there was a band that I really liked, and if you're around my age, you probably would recognize the name, Uh, and I liked this band, and I bought their CD, and if you're a college student, one of our IEP students, a CD is a disc, and it would have music on it. You could play, and a laser would read it. Anyway, um, and so I I bought the CD of this band called Nirvana, and okay, there's some other pagans here. Okay, good. Um, So I bought the Nirvana album, and it was never mind. It's this iconic kind of seminal piece of music, and Man, it was, it was, I loved it when I was a teenager, and I listened to it, and then I would go to youth group, and my youth pastor would basically say, if you listen to music like that, I'm not even sure you're a Christian, and I'd go, I don't know if I'm a Christian, because I listen to Nirvana, and I would get rid of my Nirvana album, and then I decided I liked the music, and I would buy the album again. <laughs> that happened Four times. And so what I want to help you do today is understand that what we're going to talk through, and we're going to talk about some media, we're going to talk about uh, some shows. He knows where I'm going with this message, and he's like, I don't want any part of it. He's a big Nirvana fan. So what I want to do today is I don't want to police what you listen to or don't listen to or watch or don't watch. Because I'm going to name some shows and I'm going to name some, uh, some movies probably. And my goal is to offend everyone. I want everybody to be offended today. So, uh, but what I don't want to do is tell you you can't watch and you have to watch. What I want to do instead is say, God, give us hearts that long to be mature enough to make wise choices and disciplined enough to do what you want us to do even if it's not what our preference is. Does that make sense? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be with you all the time to go, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be watching that. Oh, no, 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 don't be listening to that, right? But I want you to be mature in your walk with the Lord to say, you know what, is this a toxic influence in my life? Is this something that's going to potentially poison me and impact me and my family down the road? And if it is, I want to be mature enough to set it aside and say no to it, even if it's not sinful. Because just because something's not sinful doesn't mean it's not toxic. Okay? Uh, So that's my goal with today. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about relationships, but honestly, we talked about relationships. Some of the most toxic influences in your life are relationships of the people around you. So you have to guard that. You have to watch for that. We talked about that in week two. You can go back and listen to that if you'd like. I won't recap that here. Um, Another thing that I wanted to mention today, and really, we don't have time to, is social media. Social media is, it's ridiculous how toxic social media can be, and it's a great tool. It can be a valuable thing to have, but the truth is, I have to guard my heart whenever I get on social media because there's so much stuff on there that uh, causes me to feel ways I don't want to feel. Does that make sense to anybody else? Um, The unfollow button was one of the greatest things I've ever found on Facebook because it's like, I love you, but I don't want to see all this mess, right? And so I'm going to unfollow you. So we're still friends. I'm not going to unfriend you, but I don't wanna see all the stuff that you're posting all the time. Um, and so, I, and then let me encourage you in this too. If you've got a teenager or a preteen or a child, they're gonna say something like, but everybody's on social media. Give me a social media. And, and you're gonna feel pressure as a parent. And I wanna encourage you, you are the parent. You're the grown up. You don't have to let them have social media. Um, My daughter thinks sometimes that I'm too hard on her because she's 11 and I don't let her get on Instagram. But I know what's on Instagram and I don't want to expose my 11-year-old daughter to that. So I just say, nope, you're not going to have it. Sorry. And she's the outcast. I'm sure the kids at school hate her because she doesn't have an Instagram now. But, I'm just kidding, they don't. But... At the end of the day, my goal is not to take care of all the kids in her grade. My goal is to make sure that she is healthy and we avoid toxic influences in her life. So that's one of my goals in her. So I just want to encourage you in that. I'm not even talking about social media, that was bonus coverage. I, I do want to take a minute and talk through media because the truth is, uh, when I was a kid, um, there were Saturday morning cartoons. You know, they don't have Saturday morning cartoons anymore. That makes me sad, okay? Um, now we live in a 24-hour news cycle where you can watch news 24 hours a day. When I was a kid, we watched news at dinner time. That's when the news came on, and then at bedtime it came on, and that was it. But now you can watch news 24 hours. You can watch it and it'll be scrolling at the bottom so you can hear what the, per- the talking head is saying, but then you can also read what other things are happening. So you can get so much news. You can be on Twitter while you're watching it to make sure you get as much news as possible. You can listen to it when you can't be in front of a television. You can get news all the time. And the truth is, um, bad news sells better than good news. Does anybody know that? That's why 30 minutes of news is not filled with stories about kittens and rainbows and butterflies. It's filled with carnage and rape and violence and murder and fires and terrible things that are happening because that keeps people connected to it. They want to watch that. And so that's what they're showing us on the news. Um, Here we go, let's just dive into this offensive thing. Um, if, If you watch a particular news channel, and you think your news channel is the only news channel that really tells the real news, and all other news channels are led by Satan, you might be watching a toxic news channel. (laughs) No matter what your news channel might be. Because I'm not gonna get into politics today, but if all you watch is Fox News and you drink it down and you just believe it, hook, line, and sinker, that's a bad thing. If you watch MSNBC and all you do is drink it down and you believe it, whatever they say is gospel truth, That's toxic. So it's not one or the other. I'm just telling you, if we will just blindly accept whatever the media tells us without thinking about it, that can be toxic for our souls. So I'm not picking on Fox News. I'm not picking on MSNBC. I'm just saying we have to be careful about what we take in. Um, So many shows on television are TVMA now. Do you, I don't even, I pay attention to the ratings, I don't know if you do or not, um, but with teenage daughter, uh, close to two teenage daughters, uh, I pay attention to that, and there's shows that we don't watch because we go, well, it's TVMA, and I'm not even going to risk what might be on there because, unfortunately, I've done that before and been like, oh, I can't watch this show anymore because of the content that's on it. Um, there are shows on television like, well, this is on paid cable, but there's a show that's very popular right now. It's one of the most popular shows on television. It's called Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones is a show that is, um, if it didn't have some of the content it had, I would want to watch this show. But it's a show that's full of nudity and violence, uh, just over-the-top violence. Uh, It depicts rape. It depicts all kinds of things that I would never allow in my home, that I would never allow my family to watch. Um, But yet, somehow we get disconnected as believers and we just go, oh, it's no big deal. There are movies. Movies are such a huge deal in our culture now. Um, in fact, it's such a big deal. We actually take a, a series out of every year and do at the movies. And we use movies to help communicate gospel truths. But there are some movies that can be t- totally toxic for us if we're not careful about what we're bringing in. Um, there's a movie that guys love called The Hangover. And I'm not here to pick on The Hangover. I, I've, I've only seen The hang- I saw The Hangover once. It was the edited version on television. It was 17 minutes long. Um, <laughs> but if they, they made The Hangover And it was a raunchy comedy with nudity And uh, Zach, Zach Galifianakis' rear end was shown several times in that movie And for the record, this isn't a moral thing But there's no reason anyone needs to see Zach Galifianakis' rear end Okay, It just doesn't need to happen um, But all through this movie, and you think Okay, this raunchy comedy, that's the end of it But no, they made another one And it was really popular, made a lot of money. And they made a third one. I didn't even know they made the third one until the other day. They made three of these movies. How many hangovers are these guys having, right? Like, come on. So finally... They come out with these three movies, and and there's a website I love, it's called Plugged In, it's done by Focus on the Family, and so it literally will take a movie, you can look it up and it'll tell you every time um, any curse word is said, it'll have this many F words, this many S words, this many times it takes the Lord's name in vain. Uh, This is you know, nude shots, partially nude, it'll give the whole thing, it'll tell you everything. Um, And so I looked it up, but if you watched The Hangover 1, 2, and 3 in order, Uh, you would hear the F word about every 85 seconds that you watched that movie, those movies, which is pretty incredible, because if I stood up here and said the F word one time, right, there'd be people that would burn this place to the ground with me in it. (laughs) I can't believe it! But yet, we will go, oh, it's just a movie, it's no big deal. We will justify things like that. Now, again, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying we become unaware of this stuff. Uh, guys, it's not just you. Let me, let me tell you, too. Ladies, I'm sorry to say this to you, but there's a bunch of ladies that like uh, a series of books. that's becoming a series of movies. You know where I'm going with this, probably. It's called Fifty Shades of Grey. You go, oh, don't pick on my stuff, Mel. <laughs> I told you, I'm offending everybody today conservatives, liberals, men, women, children, I don't care, we're going to nail them all, we're going to get them, right? So Fifty Shades of Grey is a movie, and it, it's, it's sad to me, because when I see it, you're going through like on-demand movies, it will be classified as a love story, but what it depicts is sadomasochism, it depicts one man, um, not in a loving relationship with someone, but it depicts one man using someone as a tool more than anything else, and, and this is well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> that might be the first time I've ever not said something that I was about to say from stage. But it depicts a man using a woman in ways that men should not. That no human should be treated the way this person is treated in the course of this film. But yet they classify it as a love story, and they go, "Well, but it's it's really no, it's not. It's glorifying rape culture. It's glorifying treating women as subhuman for the needs of men." And I'm gonna be honest with you, that flies in the heart of the of, of Jesus Christ. That is totally against what Jesus would want I'm telling you today it's not about the specific movie it's not even about what you see it's about what's going on in our heart that draws us to influences like that what's going on in my life that makes me want to consume media like that what's going on that draws me there because at the end of the day it's not about policing and saying don't watch and do watch it's about saying God what's going on in my heart that draws me and attracts me to these kind of things and the truth is, it happens slowly. It doesn't happen immediately. Um, we get desensitized over time. Uh, my girls, when they were little, they were scared of the dark and so we had nightlights. When we finally got them off nightlights, they were, they were a little nervous, right? And if you've ever come in during worship, so like church has already started and you've come in from outside and it's bright and you come into the auditorium and the lights are down because we're worshiping and it's dark, man, you can't see anything. It takes you a minute, because what, your eyes have to adjust. And what happens with my girls when they were little, so we'd turn off the lights and they'd be a little nervous, so I'd, I'd lay down by them in the bed and we'd talk. And after we would talk for about five minutes, they were comfortable because their eyes were adjusted to the dark. And what happens is what just minutes ago would make us uncomfortable, suddenly we're comfortable with because we've adjusted. And in the same way, there's times that we encounter media in our lives and we go, ooh, I don't know if I should watch that, I don't know if I should listen, to that. I don't know if I need to consume that. But the more we're subjected to it, the more we adjust to darkness in our lives. And before we know it, it's comfortable, and it's common, and it's normal, and it's no big deal anymore. I remember, uh, does anybody remember the show Golden Girls? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That den of debauchery, you know, that, that Golden Girls. And When I was a kid, I remember sitting at the dinner table, and we had a little 13-inch TV in our kitchen that was on. We were watching the Golden Girls, and we were eating dinner one night, and B. Arthur's character said crap on the show. And my dad, like it was silence in our house. My dad puts down his fork and he gets up and he walks to the TV and turns it off. He said, we're not watching this in our house. Like that's right, we're not saying that kind of stuff. And now today, like that is light stuff compared to what is on television. It's because we as a a, a people have become desensitized. All of a sudden the things that shocked us years ago don't shock us anymore. It's not that big a deal. In fact, even in my life, there's things that I've just gotten used to. I, I like classic rock, um, and I, there's a band called the Steve Miller Band that, uh, okay, some of you are old pagans like me, too, so there you go. Uh, there's this song called uh, The Joker that I love. It's this classic song, and I'm not going to sing it to you, but there's a, there's a line in the song, and, and I was singing this song. My girls were in the back seat. They were young at the time, and we were, I was singing this song, and there's a line that says, I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a... Oh, wow, there are a lot of sinners here. <laughs> we're just going to give an altar call right now, right? I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. And I, we are singing the song, and we get to the end of the song, and I think Emma said, hey, Daddy. And I said, what, baby? And she said, what's a midnight toker? <laughs> uh-huh. Midnight, hmm, hmm, right? And in that moment, I realized what I'm singing and the songs we're listening to maybe aren't as innocent as I think they are. Maybe what I've gotten accustomed to and what I feel like is totally harmless isn't as harmless as I think it is. So maybe we have to guard ourselves a little bit. Maybe we have to watch ourselves because it's easy to get desensitized to the culture around us and become comfortable with it. And before we know it, toxic culture is in us. Uh, Two weeks ago, I read a verse to you. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And in the ESV, Uh, it simply says this, it says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I love that passage of scripture, but let me read it to you in the message version. This is just a contemporary version and contemporary language uh, that makes it a little easier to understand. This is what it says in the message. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well formed maturity in you. So the first line says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And this is the problem with many of us as Christians and believers. What happens is we are so comfortable with the culture we're in that we fit into it without even thinking about it. We allow things into our life that we don't even have to process anymore because it's just comfortable, it's just part of life, it's just part of who we are. Scripture makes it clear that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. And what we have to be careful about doing is is getting so close and so comfortable to the world that we don't even recognize that we're not of this world anymore. That we're in it, but we're not of it. Um, What does it say instead? So it says, don't become well-adjusted to the culture of this world, but instead it says, instead fix your attention on God. So fix your gaze on him. Let him become the source of everything you want and desire in this world, and that's easier said than done, I understand, but it's true. In Exodus chapter 17, um, there's a passage I want to share with you. Uh, Moses had taken the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were in captivity. He takes them out, and they're going to the promised land. And on the way, they encounter a group of people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites Uh, were in opposition to Israel, and they uh, did battle against the Israelites. The Israelites won, and this is what it says in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, who was his right-hand man. It says, um, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. He says, Hey, make sure everybody knows the memory of Amalek and his people is going to be blotted out because they are antagonists, because they're toxic. I don't want them to have any part of of my people. It says, And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And Amalek was a guy in Scripture, he was a descendant of Esau. And uh, if you're new to church, I'll just briefly tell you, The kind of patriarchs of the Jewish faith were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob uh, had a brother, a twin brother. Uh, His name was Esau. So Jacob and Esau were brothers. Uh, Jacob was a really important figure in history because his name was changed to Israel. It's his kids who became the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jacob was a really important figure, but um, but Esau was the oldest, and he should have been the one who had that place. But he he. Sold his birthright, sold his place for a bowl of soup. Literally, it's an interesting story if you want to read it. And then, uh, and then what we see here is, is Jacob's descendants had one direction, pursuing God for the most part. And then Esau's descendants kind of go a different direction, and they are in opposition to the people of the Lord for the most part. Um, and it's an interesting story. I mean. You know, gosh, I could probably do a sermon series just on that, how one set of parents can have two kids that are raised the same way and do totally different things. Um, And so what we see here is Amalek was a descendant of Esau and the Amalekites were in opposition to Israel. Um, But the story didn't end there. The story continues on. We see in 1 Samuel, um, Saul is king over Israel. This is years and years, generations later. Uh, Saul is king over Israel, and uh, he's been given instruction. God tells Samuel, the prophet, to tell Saul, you need to go wipe out the Amalekites. It's time to time- finally take care of business. And so Saul goes to do that. And this is where we'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7. And it says, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt... And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and his people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless he devoted to destruction." So what we see here is Saul gets this instruction and says, hey, these people are toxic. It's God's plan to take care of them and to wipe them out. Um, So you need to be obedient and do what God's asked you to do. And he says, I'll do it. And then he gets there and he goes, but you know what? I don't don't know if I should because this stuff isn't that bad. I mean, we're going to waste these cows and these sheep and we're going to waste them. I mean, they're good. We could do something with them, couldn't we? And why would we get rid of Agag the king? I mean, I know God told me to, but isn't it important? What if we kept him and he could be influential? And what history records is that they actually allowed um, all the, the aristocracy of the Amalekites to stay alive. So if they ha- had perceived value to Saul, then he allowed them to live. So the people who were of better, uh, of better breeding, if you can say it like that, the people who were higher class, he allowed them to live, and he got rid of the people that were useless to him and the animals that were useless to him. And so what he did is he said, I'll be obedient in as much as it helps me or is beneficial for me. So I'll I'll be obedient, but when I have to get rid of the stuff that I don't wanna get rid of, I'm not gonna do it. And that's what he did. So what happens is Samuel shows up, and Samuel is, um, you know, he's a preacher. He's hellfire and brimstone. He's not holding anything back. So he shows up and says, Saul, how'd everything go? Saul says, it was great, we took care of business. And Samuel says, well, what is this, this bleeding I hear in my ear? He's talking about the sheep. He says, I hear the livestock. It doesn't sound like you took care of business. And Saul said, well, maybe. And Scripture tells us that Samuel said, I'm going to do what you didn't do. And he went and killed Agag, the king of Amalek. Now, again, the people weren't killed. The, there was a, a, a legacy after that. You go, wow, that's terrible. That's amazing. Well, I can't believe that would happen. But again, one man thought, well, what's the big deal? These people aren't going to hurt anything. Uh, what if I'm not totally obedient to God? What is the big deal? Is it hurting anybody? You know, well, you could justify that, right? Let's fast forward again. Generations later, the kings of Israel had fallen. Uh, the, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel and um, the nation of Israel was in disarray. It was during the book of Judges that we see the story of Esther. And Esther was a Jewish woman. She was taken as the queen of Persia, so King Xerxes I First. Uh, was over uh, the Persian Empire, which was the most powerful nation in the world at this time. It stretched from uh, well into Africa, um, way east, um, uh, you know, into India, past India. um, And it was the largest empire, most influential empire in that day and age. And so Esther became queen of the Persian Empire at that time. Now now Xerxes didn't know she was Jewish. She hid that from him. but she would come to, he would come to find that out later. But this is what it says in Esther chapter three, verse one. Let me describe this to you. It says After these things, King Xerxes the first is what his has his Jewish name in there, but the the Greek name was Xerxes. I can't pronounce the Jewish name. It says, promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamedetha, uh, and advanced him and set him over the throne of the officials who were with him. So he made Haman the second in command over the entire Persian empire. It goes on to say, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had uh, so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's commands? And when they spoke with him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, and he disdained. Uh, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. The people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So Haman was a guy, he hated Jewish people. He was a bigot. And, um, and when he heard that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, it says that he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. It didn't mean that he didn't want to fight Mordecai one-on-one. What it means is he didn't want to just get rid of Mordecai. He wanted to get rid of all the Jews in the whole Persian empire. So he devised a plan and said, we're going to wipe them all out. This man was evil. And he said, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to take care of this whole thing. Now, early in this this passage, it says that Haman the Agagite. And the Agagite means he was a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. Haman was an Amalekite. And here he is, generations later, still causing problems for the people of God. See, if, if Saul would have just done what he was supposed to have done, when he was told to do it, we could have avoided this, but he didn't. He was disobedient uh, He was obedient to the point that it was uncomfortable for him. Well, I'll get rid of the things I wanna get rid of, but I'm not gonna get rid of the things that I can justify. And as a result, it caused problems for people down his line, for his entire nation, because he was disobedient, because he wouldn't get rid of a toxic influence. Now you might look at this and go, well that sounds, sounds hateful, why would a loving God do that? And what we have to do is understand that our God is a loving, benevolent God, that he's also a militant God, too. He's a just God. And he demands not that, w- not that we live a life that's acceptable to him, but that we take on the righteousness of Christ so that we can be righteous in his eyes. And what happened is, in the Old Testament, he commanded his people wipe out the Canaanites. And the reason he did that is because he said their cup of iniquity was full. And what that means is he had given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And they refused to turn from their ways. And as a result, he said, I won't allow them to influence my people because they're not gonna turn from their ways. I've given them chance after chance after chance. So now, we're taking care of business. You go, well, how do you reconcile that? Well, our God is still... Loving and merciful today, but he's still militant and just and righteous, and he demands righteousness in us, but that righteousness comes through the blood of Christ. It doesn't come because I work hard enough or I throw away my nirvana C D. Does that make sense to anybody? Um so what we see here is that the Amalekites were causing problems for generations because they were a toxic influence. Because no one would take care of it, no one would just get rid of that influence as a result, it caused problems for generations. And you can read the rest of the story. Esther is a book with only 10 chapters in it. It's a pretty short book. I would encourage you. It's an interesting story. You can pick it up and read it um, in, in an hour if you wanted to. It's easy. Um, in Proverbs 14, 12, in the NIV version, it says this. There is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. In other interpretations, it says there's a way to, in, uh, a way to man that seems right, but in the end it leads to hell. See, one of the problems with kids is they don't see down the road. Especially when a child first learns to walk, a lot of times they're looking at their feet, right? They're looking down. Um, and they don't see where they're heading. They don't see that they're walking into you know, a, a problem. They're heading toward a wall. They don't see any of that stuff. They just look at their feet. They see right where they're at. And many of us as adults, we do the same thing. Uh, spiritually, we don't look where we're heading. We don't see where this destination is on our road. See, this is what this passage says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to death. They don't look down the road and go, do you know where this road has taken me? It's, it's going to kill me. So I better change what I'm doing. That's what happens when a guy goes to the doctor and he's been eating whatever he wants forever and the doctor goes, hey buddy, if you don't change your diet, you're going to die. Okay, I'm going to change my diet, right? I see my destination now. The problem is we don't always see the destination. We see where we're, what we see right here. We go, oh, it's not that bad. What could the harm be? It's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting anyone but me. No one's ever going to know. I talked to a guy not long ago who is not too different than a lot of people in our world. He's dealing with an addiction to pornography. And he said, well, I know I shouldn't be looking at this stuff, but what's the harm? It's not hurting anybody but me. I said, you don't think it's impacting your marriage? You don't think it's impacting your relationship with your kids? You don't think there's a possibility that you're setting a tone and a standard in your home? You're not afraid of that at all? Because all he saw was the here and now. He didn't recognize uh, the toxic influences of my life can influence generations down the road if I don't be obedient to the Lord and do what he's asking me to do. Um, there's another passage I want to read you. It says this: it says uh, in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-six, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Now, Ricky, would you bring me a bottle of water? Thank you, sir. Ricky's so good, he brought me two bottles of water. Now, if you're here today and you decided, I want to go to the cafe, I want to get a bottle of water, and you walked up and said, can I get a bottle of water? And they said, sure, and they handed you this bottle of water. It'd be great, right? All right, perfect. I will drink this bottle of water down, no problems at all. It's clear, you can see through it, it's it's what you would want and what you would expect. But what if you walked up and said, give me a bottle of water? And they said, okay, here you go. Like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's dirt at the bottom, it's all right, though. Like, is that that grass? They're like, yeah, but it's just a little grass. It's no big deal. You're like, I don't think so. I don't want this bottle of water, right? And just like you would reject this bottle of water, many of us, if we saw where our decisions are taking us and we saw the influence that it's had in our lives and where that's leading us, we would reject it. We'd go, no, 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 I don't want any part of that. I don't want that in my family. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that influence around me. I'm rejecting that because I see where it's taken me. But the problem is, we're rejecting this because we don't want it, right? I get it. But the problem is we don't reject this because we have this and we go, well, a little bit wouldn't be bad. I mean a little bit of nudity, it's not that big a deal. I mean it's just a few curse words. You know what? It's not it's not that bad. I'll just I'll just it's just a little here and there. And before we know it, this has turned into this. We just get accustomed to it. We get we get into a place where it's just normal. This last week, we had a team in Panama, and they were delivering clean drinking water to people. They were, they were building filters for them so that they don't have to boil their water anymore so that the water they get won't kill them, literally, because people can die of diarrhea in places like Panama because they, have clean, they don't have clean drinking water. And what they've done is they've gotten used to literally drinking water like this. It's probably not even this good. They just get accustomed to it. And it slowly kills them over time. And the truth is, the world doesn't want this. But this is the way a lot of Christians look because we've got toxic influences in our life. And then we wonder why nobody wants what we've got. Well, I don't understand why I'm not an influence in my workplace. I don't understand why my kids won't listen to me. I don't understand why. Because nobody wants that. You know what they want? They want this. We don't get this by working hard. We get this by doing what it said all the way back up in Romans 12 mean, Let me read that to you again. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And then you know what it describes? It describes all the work he does in us. You'll be changed from the inside out. You don't do that. He does that. Readily recognize what he wants from you. He gives us eyes to see what he wants for our lives. And then we quickly respond to it. It says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You don't do the work. God does the work. If you want this in your life and in your family and in generations to come, it doesn't come from you trying and working hard. It comes from you saying, God, I'm gonna fix my eyes on you and do all the work in me that I can't do on my own. God, there's toxic influences in my life and I wanna get rid of them, but God, I can't get rid of them on my own. I need you to do the work in me and then God will do the work in you. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. We guard our hearts. We protect our hearts. We pay attention to what is coming and going to make sure that we don't let anything in that shouldn't be there. Uh, Years ago, um, when I was in college, I interned at a church one summer in Jacksonville, Florida, Ocean Way Assembly of God. And um, that summer, um, I was living with a family there and just working, and I mean, I was, I was paid $25 a week to work there, and I was just getting experience. And uh, I was by far the lowest man on that totem pole. And one day the pastor comes to me, and there had been a severe drought throughout that area of Florida, and the pastor comes to me and he says, hey, Mel, I need you to do something for me. I said, yeah, whatever you need, pastor. And he said, "Uh, I need you to stop working during the day. I need you to work at night. What? And he said, I need you to come in in the evenings and just work through the night. Uh, So you can have off during the day, but I need you to be here at night because there had been an arsonist who'd been setting fires all over North Jacksonville. And he said, I just, we feel like we may be a target. Can you just be here and keep an eye on things? And so all night long, I walked around, I ran the sprinkler systems outside on the grass to make sure it kept things moist, and, and I kept an eye out. I made sure nobody was gonna come set a fire to my church. Uh, and that was my job, was to be vigilant. It would have been a bad day if I'd have woken up to smoke and if i had to sleep in the back of the room, and, right? Because I wasn't doing my job. I wasn't paying attention. That's what we have to do with our hearts. We have to be vigilant about what is coming in and what we let in, because it makes a difference. I read a story this last week about a town... In, um over on the eastern side of Pennsylvania, it's called Centralia. Has anybody ever heard of Centralia before? A couple of you have, yeah. So Centralia, Pennsylvania, it's an interesting story. Uh, Centralia in the late 1800s was a town of over 2,000, which again, back in that day and age, was a really good-sized town. Uh, but today, it's, it, it's Pennsylvania's smallest town, and it has seven residents. So it's gone from over... Over 2007, and the, the way that happened was back in 1962, there was an open-air um, pit that they had used for strip mining that they had abandoned, and the, the local municipality decided this is a good place to put our garbage. And so what they would do is every year they would seal the pit, they would put their garbage in, and then at the end of the year they would burn the garbage, and then they would seal the pit, put their garbage in, and burn the garbage. They would do that every year, but one year they, they decided they didn't have the money to seal the pit. So they put the garbage in. They burned it just like they normally do. But the problem is it actually burned through that layer. And underneath Centralia, there's a large series of coal mines. So what happened is uh, this fire, this trash fire, ended up getting beyond that seal and ended up getting beneath the city and they didn't know it for years in fact the way they found out was the town mayor owned a gas station in town and he decided that he was going to check the level of the gas in his underground tank and he put the dipstick in one day and he pulled it out and he realized this is kind of warm that doesn't make sense so he put a, a, a gauge in to see what the temperature was and he found out the temperature of the gas in the tank was 170 degrees you realize this might be a problem I don't know if that's a good thing to heat up a tank full of gas. So they contacted the authorities, they came out and checked it out and realized we've got a major issue going on. What they discovered is there was, there was a raging inferno under the town of Centralia. This fire was heating up and igniting all this coal, these coal reserves that were under this town and it was causing problems. And in fact, there was a boy, he was nine or 10 years old, who fell into a sinkhole The sinkhole was 150 feet deep. It was sheer luck or the grace of God that caused him not to die. His friend actually rescued him out of that pit. Um, But sinkholes began emerging. Um, Poisonous gas began spewing from certain places as this fire raged. So the U.S. government stepped in and they said, we're relocating everyone. They spent um, tens of millions of dollars to relocate this town or relocate these people to other places. Um, But there was a small remnant of people. This is Pennsylvania for you right here. There's a remnant of people who said, we don't care if our house might fall into a raging, raging fire pit. We're staying where we're at. You can't make us leave. And they did. So there's still seven residents in Centralia, Pennsylvania today. And they're not allowed to sell their house. As soon as they die or decide to move, their house is going to be bulldozed. So if you look at a Google Earth map of the, the view of Centralia today, what you see is uh, just roads in this town and no buildings. So there's all these paved roads with nothing in between. And there's buckled concrete and pavement from where the ground is unstable and where those fires had raged. And the interesting part of this story is that this fire has started back in this trash pit. Actually, um, it's it's engulfing an area about eight miles long. It's about 3,700 acres underground is on fire right now. And at its current rate, it's going to burn for 250 years. It's amazing, how'd that start? Well, by by many reports, it started because they didn't protect, they didn't put a a layer of protection up to keep what was outside from getting inside. Um, This is what happens in our lives. If we don't guard our heart and protect ourselves from the things in this world, what happens is it gets in us, it slowly poison us. I heard someone say one time, "Nobody no one drowns because they're in the water they drown because the water is in them. See, we don't slowly die because we're in a toxic world. We slowly die when the toxic world gets in us. And this is where I would tell you today, guard your heart above all else. If you've got toxic influences in your life, the best thing you can do is begin to fix your eyes on Christ. And be disciplined enough to say, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what you're asking me to do. If it means I'm gonna lay down something so that I can grow in my walk with you and so that I can prevent my family from being influenced by toxic influence, I'm gonna do it. I think I said this earlier, but um, just because something isn't sinful doesn't mean it's not toxic. So you might have some things in your life where you go, it's not sinful. I'm not going to hell for this. Well, no, you might not be going to hell. But God's got more for you than just barely making it into heaven. God wants you to live an incredible life on earth of influence or or of health. But if we've got toxic influences, it makes it really hard to do what God's calling us to do. So I want to challenge you in that today. Fix your eyes on Christ and see what he will do in working in your heart. Don't let the trash of this world get in your heart, because if you do, it's gonna set a fire. Things might look really good, because if you visit Centralia today, you know what? You'll see, you'll see an area, you won't see any houses, just a couple, but you wouldn't think, you wouldn't imagine what's going on under the surface is going on. And that's how some of us are. You wouldn't imagine what's going on in our hearts, because we look fine. I'm telling you today, guard your heart. God wants to work in you today. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. I'm so grateful for your goodness. I'm so grateful for your grace and mercy toward us. And I pray today, Lord, none of us here would be condemned by this message. And Lord, what you wanted to share today, I pray that, Lord, um, you would help us have eyes like you have to see the things and recognize the things in our lives that could be toxic and allow us, uh, help us be disciplined enough to set those things aside. Even if they're not sinful, God, let us set aside toxic influences. Help us guard our heart against influences that would... Uh, ultimately cause us to be, to be victim of a slow death, God. I pray that you'd minister in our hearts today. You know, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what, I'm, I'm not really a Christian, I'm not really serving Jesus, but I know I need to be. I recognize there's some stuff in my life that's displeasing to God, and, and I, wanna, I wanna make him Lord of my life today. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward or embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. If you're here today, you say, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Mel, pray with me. Would you be bold enough to put your hand real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down? Is there anybody? Thanks, over here on my left, I see you. Praise God. Who else? Thanks, up in the balcony, I see you. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? Thanks, over here on my left. like every person that, oh there's just a couple of hands up in the back I see you back there thanks you can put your hands down praise the Lord I'd like every person in this place whether you raise your hand or not just to repeat this really simple prayer after me you can say this out loud say dear Jesus thank you for loving me even when my life has been toxic I'm asking you today help me be healthy in you take my life and use it for your glory forgive me of my sin and help me never go back to my old life, and my old ways, and my old thinking. Today, I'm yours, and today, you are mine. In you, I'm a new creation. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Hey, I want you to know something. If you raised your hand, you said that prayer, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Um, God's got an incredible future for you, and it begins today. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Um, just like, you know, we need parents to help us grow. We, you know, they don't just deliver a baby and set them on the corner and go, good luck, I hope it works out, right? You, you, have, you have a system, you have people around you to help you get to where you need to be. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you, you are a new believer and we wanna help you grow in your faith. So we wanna come alongside you. The best way we can do that is if you'll take just a moment and you can fill this card out. Uh, if you need prayer, you can fill this side out. On the other side though, it says salvation. So if you prayed that prayer today to make Jesus Lord of your life, If you would, fill this card out and then drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. Let us know about your decision so we can help you take the next step. If you can't reach one of these cards or maybe you're watching online and you you prayed that prayer and meant it, I would encourage you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you, help resource you and help you get you connected into a path that's gonna help you grow in your faith. Um, So again, I'm so proud of you for making that decision. Thank you for doing that. This is what's gonna happen now. Our worship team's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna sing one more song together. We're gonna praise the Lord together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, while we're singing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members and let them agree with you in prayer. Maybe you're here today and you recognize you've got some toxic influences and you need God to help you with that. Um, that's okay, we want to pray with you about that we believe God can do the work in your life so step out from your seat if you need prayer for any reason and then in just a moment when we finish singing Steph McCoy is going to come, she'll dismiss us and close us out Uh, and I want to encourage you, don't duck out early Uh, we've got a video from one of our ministry partners that we're going to show and we can't show it online because he's in a sensitive part of the world Uh, but I want you to stick around and make sure you see that at the very close of the, the worship experience today so stand to your feet all over the room it is great seeing you today thank you for worshiping with us um, and it's awesome seeing some more IUP students back today. I see some of you over here on the second row. Love you guys. We're proud of you. It's great seeing you today. Um, but guys, I tell you this often. I love you more. Th- I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you.